Hello, and thank you for joining us on the Red Hills podcast. We hope that you are feeling encouraged wherever you are listening or watching this from. We want to let you know about a couple of things that are happening in the life of our church this morning. First is we are doing something called Stock the School Resource Rooms. We want to make sure that teachers in our community have what they need to succeed and teach our students well. So we put together an Amazon wish list that you can find on the website. You can buy those items online or bring them in in person, but this would be a great way for us to show our teachers that we love them and that we're here for them. Also, starting September 4th, we are making a shift from two to three gathering times. Those times will be 8.30, 10 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. We're making the shift to accommodate the incoming college students as they begin their fall semester, and we'll be offering a 10 a.m. live stream for that gathering. So we look forward to having those new times with you. And if you are new, if this is your first or second time coming to a Red Hills gathering, we want to connect with you. So if you could fill a connect card so that we can follow up with you, we would really appreciate it. We just want to get to know you. And something that we do here as a part of our worship is give out of our finances. So if you'd like to give, you can do so online at redhills.church backslash give. This morning we are going to be welcoming Kate to share the word as we continue in the James series. All right. Well, good morning, Red Hills. I am so glad to be with you today. If we haven't had a chance to meet one-on-one -on -one before, my name is Kate Swanson. I'm the communications director here on staff, and I am just honored to be sharing with you today. The last time I actually got to share was the end of March, and it was actually the Sunday before Aaron and Brianne announced that they would be moving to Iowa, our previous lead pastors. And so we had eight weeks of sending them off, we had six Sundays of interim together, and then six weeks ago now, we invited Pastor Lane and Jaina Greenleaf Perez to our church family. And wow, let me just say, I knew God would be faithful. I was with you in prayer for our next leaders of our church. I was at home just praying a lot and asking God to be faithful. And I really think God did exceedingly abundantly in this circumstance. Um, I feel like the Greenleaf Perez family, um, just the way that God shifted and moved and made things happen, um, it's such a joy to see them come into our church and become part of our church family. Uh, the word I kind of used was baffled, like I was baffled at how good God is, and <laughs> I don't know why I shouldn't be baffled. He is so good to us. Um, but Pastor Lane is just a gift to our church family. Our staff has just loved getting to know him more, and you will see in the weeks and months and years to come that he is just an incredible leader, full of wisdom, full of humility. Um, and so right now, Baby Brooklyn did come this week, so they're gonna make a formal announcement, but uh, they are at home with Baby Brooklyn. Jaina's doing well, and so, and Lane said something about he's already forgotten how much it takes for a newborn. So he's, he's learning again, he's learning again. But also, I wouldn't be standing up here without the love and discipleship of pastors Aaron and Brianne Hansen. Um, the last night that they were in Newburgh, my husband Tony and I went over and we were helping them load up the last things into, into their pods that were moving. And we were in their kitchen joking about when our church family helped move them in nine years before that. And um, I kind of joked with Brianna, I kind of looked at her and I was like, do I get like a gold star as like 
a disciple of yours. <laughs> like, I kind of just like joked with her. I was like, do I, do I, is there some sort of like discipleship award with how much my life has transformed as she's walked with me through these years? Um, we just laughed together. But um, when they came to our church nine years ago, um, I was just an attendee. I was not serving. I was not giving. To be honest, I never thought I would work for a church. <laughs> um, but God used them to sharpen me and encourage me to live out my faith. Um, and I told them on that last night that they changed, through God, they changed everything about my life in the very best way. And so even now, their influence is shaping and impacting my life, um, along with Pastors Aaron and Brianne, um, also Pastor Andy McMillan's encouragement. I'm actually in the process of becoming a licensed Foursquare pastor, <laughs> which, sorry, as I like, my voice cracks. It's still scary for me to say that out loud. <laughs> um, but I just want to lovingly warn all of you out there, in nine years, you could be up here. And so... Um, I'm joking, but it, that really happened to me. So, okay, we are going to jump into James this morning. Uh, we are in the second week of James. We know that James is one of the brothers of Jesus. He became a leader in the church in Jerusalem after Jesus' death and resurrection. James was highly respected for the advice that he gave and how he helped make wise decisions that shaped the community of believers. This book comes from his best teachings and letters he sent throughout the Roman Empire to encourage Jewish believers in following Jesus. And you've kind of seen already in the first week, this is a conversational style book. This is a letter that includes short sayings and larger discussion topics of wisdom liter literature and teachings from Jesus. It focuses on daily living and practical issues, concern for the poor, responsible use of wealth, control of the tongue, purity of life, unity in the community of Jesus followers, and above all, patience and endurance in times of trial. So the section we are going to read today, commentators have titled, The Test of Response to the Word. So let's read this together. This is James 1, 19 through 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in, in looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight ring on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphan and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Whoo, oh, this is a little challenging, yeah? Um, all right, so I'm really glad Pastor Lane has confidence in me. Okay, there is a lot to unpack in scripture here. So let's look verse by verse through this section and discover what James is conveying to us as Jesus followers. So in James, uh, 19, the verses 19 and 20, 
It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So James first calls us his dear brothers and sisters and states, take note of this. This is the New Testament, like, pay attention prompting that he's saying in the scripture. And this section is right up my alley. I'm the communications director here. I love the study of how people share and receive information, whether verbal or written, in person or online. I love expansive vocabularies and Oxford commas. But uh, I I, I can show you what that is if you need to know. Um, So let's dive into what studies have discovered about how we communicate. So this is, um, we're gonna throw up, this is the interactive communication model. Uh, There we go. And if you are listening to our audio podcast or if you're in the room and you'd like to take notes, there's message notes on our website or on the Church Center app for these. But there are many different communication models out there with all sorts of information. But this kind of gives you a basic idea of two-way communication. So the sender is sending a message in the um, sender receiver on either side. The sender is sending a message to the receiver, which they receive. And then the receiver then intakes that message and sends it back with feedback. And both of these individuals are clouded by their own field of experience. And also you could put like a larger thing around this that's called like noise of what's going on around you while this communication is happening. And so let me explain the field of experience for a moment because this includes an individual's culture, past experience, and personal history. This can include prejudices or biases or perceived intentions of the sender or maybe just perceived intentions from what you know from past experience. And let's take a moment to focus on the feedback. Now, this model has it kind of swooping back. Sometimes models have them like pointing away um, because it's not only the feedback you are sending to the sender, but also your reactions following that interaction. See, feedback is the voice in your head that you're like, man, I shouldn't have said that. Or man, maybe I should have done this. It's that gut reaction when you read an email that really irks you. And then you're sitting at the dinner table hours later thinking about that one email. (laughs) So feedback goes beyond just what you're sending back to this person. And all of these physical or emotional reactions are brought about from your field of experience, whether during before or after that interaction. So what is James saying about our interactive communication? While we can continually switch between the sender and the receiver roles in communication, this first verse actually focuses on us as the receiver. I don't know if you've come to this realization, but you can't control people and you can't control what they're saying to you sometimes but you can control how you react. So I feel like James is saying the very first thing to us um, is to be quick to listen. So we'll throw that up there. So at this point, before the message is even sent, we are called to be quick to listen. We are called to be prepared as the receiver. The word of God is demanding readiness in us. Commentators say this pack, um, in this passage that our own reluctance can block acceptance to truth. So looking at this graphic, you can understand the negative experiences that we carry in our own field of experience can block that message as it enters our sphere. 
We are to be ready at a moment's notice before the message is even being sent to us. This is frequently called active listening. All right, so the second thing in this verse is to be slow to speak. When I looked over all the different biblical versions, each one I could find was saying slow for slow to speak and slow to anger. So slow was used in, throughout all different versions of this scripture. But this can also be translated as restrained in speech. Anyone know a continual talker? You don't have to look at them or raise your hand or anything. I can be guilty of this. And so this section is pointing out that if we are a continual talker and we are not slow to speak, you will not hear what anyone else is saying or what God is saying in that, in that matter, even when you're, you're having, moving about in the chaos of your day. It would look like this. I know it's not cute, but I made this up. And uh, it's not fancy. But you could see how if you are continually sending a message that revolves back to you, you are missing the receiver, their experience, and their feedback. This is isolation, and this is not God's design for you. So when we are slow to speak or restrained in our speech, we allow space for active listening and to better process the feedback we are being sent. And when we are restrained in speech, we have carefully chosen words. Have you ever been in a conversation and you have to like slow and have carefully chosen words? Sounds a lot like loving someone really well. Let's move on. The third part in the sequence of the verse is to be slow to anger. We should not hold or convey an argumentative attitude. Our reactions or our feedback are not to be fierce or piercing. James continues this thought into the next verse where he says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So let's see. I've got a few verses for you on what scripture says about human anger. There's a lot of verses about like God's wrath, but we're just looking specifically at human anger in this context. In Proverbs 15, it says, a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs uh, later in that same chapter, it says, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. Proverbs 22 says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Proverbs 29 says, fools give full vent to their rage. Psalm 37 says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. In Matthew 20, it says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, this is Jesus talking, will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which means contempt, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the dangers of the fire of hell. So there's that. Um, I think we're supposed to flee from anger. Um, these scriptures describe that we are supposed to flee from anger, and those who are easily angered. This shows how an angry attitude is, um, is not an atmosphere for righteousness to flourish. This verse is rephrased later on in James uh, 3.18, later on when we'll, we'll get to that point a few weeks down. But it says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. 
So we just broke down two verses. Let's get to the other seven in about half the time. Okay, the next section focuses on how we receive the word. So verses 21 and 22. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So in 21, it says, get rid of all moral filth. This get rid of is actually translated to like throw off like a garment. Have you ever seen a superhero go from like their alter ego work clothes to their super suit in like one fell like swoosh? Like that's what the scripture is calling us to here. It's calling us to throw off all moral filth. I like that image. All right. So Hebrews 12, 1 shares the same sentiment. It says, um, in throwing off any excess weight that makes you ready for the race of faith. Because evil is so prevalent, I don't think I need to tell you. Evil is prevalent, you guys know that. Um, and we are to humbly accept God's word. The w Greek word for humility in this section is not a spineless weakness. It is actually described as a strong man making himself docile. This humble acceptance allows us to grow in our faith, not only in intelligence, but in understanding. Verse 22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that reading or listening to the word can earn us position or favor with God. This is faulty reasoning. Has anyone ever asked you how much of the Bible you've read? Or if you've read it from cover to cover? We are, hear me in this, we are called to study God's word. We are. And know his truth. But this question is an irrelevant benchmark of someone's faith. I have met people who have attended church for over 50 years and don't act like Jesus followers. And I walk with people who've walked with Jesus less than three and humbly submit themselves to the scripture and ask his guiding in every step. Hear me, there is a weight and a responsibility to hearing and studying the word. You may know scripture, but knowing scripture and living it out are two different things. Pastor Lane shared this idea last week on how wisdom is the ship by which we navigate the ocean of knowledge and Jesus is the navigator. We are in desperate need of godly wisdom in a culture and a climate of worldly knowledge. The end of verse 22 is do what it says. Uh, commentators have said that verse 22 actually can sum up the entire book of James, so I'll go ahead and cancel the next nine weeks, and we'll, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Sorry, I like to joke around, guys. I hope you're okay with that. <laughs> but, but seriously, this is a divine, the divine concept, right? Put into practice what you believe. Let's go on to verse 23, 24. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. We see this illustration as looking at oneself in the mirror. And the word to look in the Greek is katanoeo. It actually means to consider or to contemplate. It is a careful observation with attentive scrutiny. Jesus used this in illustrations, um, such as like, consider the speck in your brother's eye, but not the beam of wood in your own. 
It is also used in Luke 12 where Jesus said to consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, but God feeds them. Consider the lilies, for they do not labor and spin, um, but they are dressed in splendor. How much more does God love you? These are long looks. It's not meant to be a momentary glance. And where there is a long look, there is understanding. If we have understanding, any failure to respond is direct disobedience. Church family, some of you might not know this, but I have a toddler, and she is about to turn two. It's a really fun age. So, yeah. Um, Have you ever experienced a toddler before? Like maybe you were in a grocery store and you just experienced like a full like breakdown, red face, completely defiant meltdown of a small human. They might be screaming or kicking or crying or have their body completely laid out as to say, I will not do what you say, right? Okay, this is the season I'm in, guys. Okay, now my hope as a parent is that through understanding, training, loving discipline, that my toddler will someday not act this way. It's me as a parent constantly, repetitively saying that this is not nice. This hurts mom. We should not hit. Maybe we need to time out. Maybe we need to calm down. That sounded really loving when I, yeah, when I said it to you guys. It, it doesn't always come out that way. This is the same concept James is calling us to. The purpose of listening to truth is to act upon it. We are not called to either listen on a Sunday or read our Bibles and walk away and forget everything we have just heard or read. When we experience God's word, it shapes our knowledge and subsequently how we are supposed to act from there on out. When I have these repetitive talks with my toddler and timeouts, (laughs) my intention is that she will understand this experience is meant to change how she acts in the future. When I focus on God's word, I see a loving father who is shaping me and guiding me into the life he's called me to. Okay, we are getting into the replication or doing of the word in this next section. We are going to look at verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This verse is full of practical application how James has laid it out. The first is to look intently into God's truth, his perfect law. When we are talking about perfect law, we are not talking about Old Testament law or Mosaic law. We are actually talking about the law fulfilled through Jesus. James is calling the law complete. It is the freedom we have been given by Christ. The law was fulfilled by Jesus and is freely accepted by those who call themselves Jesus' followers. So what is the perfect law of freedom? This is God in us and his enablement through us. This section of scripture actually directly corresponds to the fruits of the spirit in Galatians 5. But the fruits of the spirit are this, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against, no, against such things, there is no law. This is God calling us to this kind of of love, this law of love. The second part in this is that um, we're supposed to continue to study. Our calling as Jesus followers are to continually study God's word. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 said, "Blessed blessed is the one 
who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take and or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. This goes back to that message that Pastor Lane gave. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The third part is that we should not forget. We just went through that illustration of out of sight, out of mind, the man that looks in the mirror. It's kind of ludicrous when you think about it. We are not to forget God's word. And all of these premises lead up to a promise that they will be blessed in what they do. Next verses. All right, we're, we're getting there, guys. We're almost through. The, we're going to be in verse 26 and 27. Those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So let's look at this section. The consider themselves religious the religious word in the Greek is actually treskos. It's um, the only place in the New Testament this word religious is used. And it's actually more of an adjective describing the kind of worship brought before God. And when you consider yourself religious, this um, is describing the posture of your external acts of religion. What are your motives in public worship? Fasting, giving to the needy. In this instance, James goes on to say that this type of person does not keep a tight rein on their tongue. They are like an unbridled, unbridled horse, no restraint or control over the things that they say. And James isn't exactly saying what is offensive about this person's speech. Is it judgmental? Is it cutting criticism? Is it unclean or dishonest? Whatever ways this person's uncontrolled tongue reveals, James is saying that their religion is worthless. And James is calling us to flee self-deception, the person that is playing the part of the Christian rather than truly following Jesus. It is merely an external sham. They have convinced themselves that they're a really good Christian. This is the second instance we see of self-deception in this section, right? We see the man looking at himself in the mirror and the man that has no control over his tongue. When we flee self-deception, we find genuine devotion to God, and it is a life-changing force. It can be described as a spring from an inner spiritual reality that is expressed in love to others and holiness to God. How is this expressed? James gives us the example to look after the orphan and the widow. The same section to look after phrase is actually from Matthew 25 when Jesus speaks of his return and those who will enter the kingdom of heaven. It says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. This call to look after others, especially those who are marginalized or oppressed or the injustices that keep them in that place. 
This is not merely a social call. It's not just a check-in. It is to truly serve others and care for others. This is faith expressing itself through love, like Galatians 5, 6 says. And the last point is to stand. Don't be polluted by the world. This pervades every sphere of human existence, right? And shows us to flee anything that is in opposition to God and to his righteousness. So how do we live this kind of life? I've been asking myself that a lot the last three weeks as I'm I'm reviewing this. How do we take in this understanding and knowledge from God's word and put it into practice? Honestly, I've, I've had a few weeks to prep for this message, and I did my normal routine. I, I prayed. I spent time with God. I studied scripture. I reviewed commentaries and had it all buttoned up on Thursday, and I didn't feel quite settled in my soul that this, this message was ready. And so I was talking to Pastor Brett, and I was talking to Pastor James, and, and they just shared. They're like, God will speak through you. God, we know God will show up, and God will speak through you. What I didn't know is that God was going to wake me up at 4 a.m. on Saturday morning (laughs) and really spend some time together. He used that quiet space. Uh, 4 a.m. is my normal, like, when God, I'm, nothing's going on, nothing can distract me, and God kind of wakes me up. 4 a.m. seems to be that time. Um, And I quiet my mind, and I sit in the silence, and I simply ask him to reveal what he wants. And two nights ago... God, full of grace and full of love, reminded me that this person that they're describing was me too. For the first 20-something years of my life, I played the really good part of a really good Christian. I grew up in church. I went to Awanas and I went to youth groups. I was part of FCA, and I signed up to go to a Christian university. And I had all the knowledge, and I didn't have the understanding and application to live it out in my faith. And lovingly, at 4 a.m., God humbled my heart and said, you need to share that. I was like, thanks. Um, That I was the one looking and knowing and turning away. But my life has been transformed in the last decade. As I mentioned in my intro, I honestly never thought I would work for a church. I graduated from Fox literally a decade ago. Um, I majored in business and organizational communications. And my goal was to live in the corporate world forever. And I slowly started taking little steps in my faith. I joined a Bible study. I started serving. I started being more loving and compassionate to the people I'd meet wherever I'd go. And then God called me to work at my home church. I'm not sure why, I'm going to be honest. I had some major imposter syndrome to work through. I'm I'm continually working through it. But it was so clear that God wanted me here. He wanted me to take that step of faith. And he was calling my family into ministry at that time. Since joining staff, I get to witness God's miraculous transformation more than I ever have before. Even during the times when we were isolated at home, I was seeing how God was working. And while ministry is not all rainbows and butterflies, I know it's right where God wants me to be. 
I was talking to my friend Katie Moore last week. And we started talking about what it's like to walk with Jesus. Sorry, Katie, I didn't tell you, prep you, I was telling you this. But Katie understands what it's like to work in ministry. She actually worked for our church for a season years ago. And we were sharing how once you've walked with Jesus this closely, kind of under his covering, I always kind of think it's like a little cloud, right? Under his covering, wherever you go, um, once you've lived that way, you don't want to live any other way. She was sharing with me how when we know God and his word and we live it out, it's like a euphoric joy that overflows in you. I looked at Katie and this, this phrase just welled up in me. I was like, it's kind of like a little bit of heaven here on earth. And as Jesus followers, we're called to this kind of work. We are not to merely listen to spiritual truth or engage in religious activities. Our lives should be continuous efforts to grow in Christ and be marked by genuine relationship with God. Maybe God is asking you to lay something down, putting truth into practice. Maybe he's asking you to lay down some anger or some self-deception. Maybe he's asking you to to pick up something. Maybe it live, living out serving others, looking at the people around you in holy devotion to God. I'm not sure what that is, but we're going to pray about it. And we're going to, um, in a moment, we're going, I'm going to call our worship team up. In a moment, we're going to um, close our time in a time of worship together. But um, before that, we're going to come to communion. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat down around a table with his closest friends. And Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks for it. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance is a funny word to say to your friends when you're around the dinner table. You're supposed to do this in remembrance of me. And his friends didn't fully understand that he would die. But he said, take the bread, divide it among you. This is my body given to you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my new covenant poured out for you. So we pause and we give thanks for Jesus' sacrifice. We have it divided among you and we partake it on this side of heaven until we can share it again when God's kingdom is restored. So let's take the bread and let's take the cup together.